Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hey parents, Jack and Claire's Children's Boutique in Oxford features the latest brands of baby and children's clothing, shoes, toys, and accessories. Check out Jack and Claire's Facebook page too. Jack and Claire's Children's Boutique, West Jackson Avenue next to Belk. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music. It's Carter Jewelers Day. We are in the studio but we are going to hear from the owner of Carter Jewelers, Jerry Lake, three times during the program in the final segment of each hour. We've also got Robert Dozier, Executive Director of the Mississippi Independent Pharmacies Association, joining Middays at 11.05, and the Mayor of Past Christiane, Mississippi, Jimmy Rafferty at 12.05. It's Mardi Gras, Rhino! Les les bon temps roulé. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it ain't Mardi Gras in the Dow, in the markets today. Whew. And here's what happened, folks, if you hadn't seen it. The stock market is tanking because inflation came in hotter than expected, as they say. Consumer prices rose 3.1% in January from a year earlier. The market was looking for a two-handle on that figure. It didn't get it, 3.1%. It was a bit of a cool-down from last month, but again, more than the expectation and that's based on polling those economists. You know what we always say, you got to have two hands to be an economist, because this is one of those, but on the other hand, deal, gas prices, which exclude, uh, pardon me, core prices, what's called core inflation. Why we do that is beyond me. Who can live without food and energy? But those uh, that's really what rattled the markets as messed up as it sounds, I think they do that because they know people will still buy that no matter how much it costs. That is, that is why. And they're consider, it's considered very volatile, which it is. Those are commodities that uh, can shift in pricing at the drop of a hat, no doubt. So it's, it's an attempt to uh, first sort of normalize the calculations and then, to your point, because they know no matter what, you got to have that. And so they get focused more on everything but that, so to speak. And that's, um, that's the core inflation. That what's called the headline CPI includes food and energy. So that even, the, the core, 3.9%, that was above the 3.7% those wily economists pro- predicted. So 
investors have been waiting for this data as a harbinger of what the Fed might do. Well, I, my opinion, you could take rate cuts off the table in March and probably May. The market evidently feels the same, thus the Dow on a market check presently down 440, and last I checked, the NASDAQ was down about 250, over 200 points. So now, in fairness, it's actually it's actually paired some of those losses now presently down 175, the NASDAQ. But in fairness, both uh, indexes have had a pretty strong run here uh, the last couple of months, honestly. And that, but that to a great extent has been in anticipation of the Fed saying, "Okay, we've done enough on this inflation thing; we can start trimming rates." That does not appear to be in the offing at this point. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that we should expect inflation to ratchet back up. That's what I see happening. I think the uh, price of oil is going to continue to be extremely volatile and probably start trending upward again. We still got some shipping constraints in the Middle East that's contributing. And the other thing is folks are just working. It's uh, it's crazy, but the Fed's pardon me. The Fed's goal was uh, to cause uh, unemployment to rise. The goal was, well, if we increase interest rates, folks won't spend as much money. Folks being companies because it's costlier to finance, and in doing so, uh, they'll start. You'll see inflation increase. Folks won't buy as much, and we'll have to let people go because we don't need as many people. So that really hasn't occurred to the extent the Fed sought, and thus I just don't see inflation moderating in the near future. That's really bad news for the Biden administration, and as we've talked about so many times, the last couple of cycles there's been positive reports, positive readings on inflation and unemployment, and I've cautioned that the president and the White House immediately go to the podium, do they not, to boast about it, to crow about it, like, not so fast. This is a snippet of times, very dangerous. It does not represent a trend, but yet they're looking for any nugget of good news they feel would boost their political fortunes. Not good. So, we'll see where that goes, and by the way, 10-year Treasury up significantly, the two-year up significantly, and that's because of uh, money flowing into those. And, um, and of course, there's a sell-off of the uh, the older Treasuries. Not that the way all those dynamics work when you've got the stock market tanking. Usually, Treasury yields act in the opposite direction, and that's what's happening right now. So, uh, some are seeing this as an opportunity. If um, if this pullback continues a couple of days, there are a lot of people out there saying, okay, that's an opportunity to jump in. It's not a long-term situation, but it's what's going on right now. That's kind of the big news. The other uh, thing we need to pass on to you is that the 2024 Super Bowl did, in fact, break through the record of viewership to become the most watched U.S. television program ever. Now, I wonder if that indicates 
just a strong interest in football, or if it's because of all the controversy surrounding the game that has nothing to do with football. Is it Taylor Swift attracting lots of viewers that really don't care about football, just tuned in to see the drama? Taylor Swift drama. I don't know. Um, $120 million the CBS broadcast garnered. The previous mark for the network for its most watched Super Bowl was $112 million, that in 2016. Wow. Uh, Nielsen set a record $202 million watched at least part of the game across all networks, a 10% jump. Over last year, it was 183. So there you go. You know that uh, from the crazy category, you know tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Today, Mardi Gras. Has that ever happened before? That seems like an interesting one-day succession. Well, I know it's happened at least once because I took a girlfriend to Mardi Gras on Valentine's Day. Okay. Well, Amanda Shendronk, <laughs> who is a uh, an op-ed writer for the Washington Post, says, why giving roses on Valentine's Day or any day is really a bad idea. Now, I read this article, and it is just over-the-top fear-mongering. Gosh, again, you know what this is. They hate fun. It's another attempt by the left to kill fun. You like roses on Valentine's Day? You can't do that anymore. You're having fun. Must have been written by someone that never got roses on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm wondering the same. But you'd be surprised. I'm telling you, Rhino, there's an, anytime you see an article that, that credits the writer, of course, that's normal. But the illustrator, you know it's crazy. So this has got illustrations by Michelle Kondrick, and it's all these crazy little animations of, of graphics with, with uh, text boxes embedded in the midst of the graphics with just little facts. Eighty percent of the flowers sold in the U.S. are imported mostly from Colombia and Ecuador. A rose takes up to 15 weeks to grow, but as soon as it is cut, a precisely coordinated race begins. To keep them fresh, the flowers are chilled into a dormant state and then moved to airports and refrigerated trucks. And they've got all this illustrated and animated, showing the trucks and the roses. Sounds like the world's most boring comic strip. (laughs) At the airport they are loaded on a plane bound for miami then it's got about 20 jets you know little graphics of jets with smoke coming out of the back. and one of them is flying above during the weeks weeks prior to february 14th more than 30 flights will move flowers for columbia from miami uh, I'm pardon me, from Columbia to Miami every day. After four hours later, the roses land in Miami. They are moved into chilled warehouses and inspected by U.S. Customs. It's the entire sequence. You're killing the planet by selling roses. We're stepping aside for a break. We're in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbons. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studio, Carter Jewelers will join us at the final segment of each of the three hours of middays, telling us about all the great deals they got going on because it's Valentine. And so you need some jewelry. We already told you no roses, right? So that's according Bad to for the planet. <laughs> it's incredible. So this this article goes on to say uh, that the sector needs to move away from air freight. Some companies are already experimenting with shipping flowers by sea, an option with substantially fewer emissions. By carefully controlling the atmosphere in the containers, it is possible to cut stems, to, or four cut stems, to remain dormant for weeks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You thought a dozen roses this time of year cost a lot now. <laughs> That's right. Oh, gosh. Do I pay the car note this month or buy my honey some roses? <laughs> this is what <laughs> the fast This is from the article. The fast-moving game of romantic commerce never stops. <laughs> Airliners filled with flowers zip around the globe every day. Chrysanthemums from Colombia dash to Japan. Semicolon. Roses from Kenya end up in Britain. Oh, the humanity. Carnations from Ecuador jet to Russia. Nearly all imported cut flowers go through the same emissions-intensive journey. Climate-controlled greenhouses, refrigerated trucks, and a long, chilled flight. I feel like we need to give this person a hug. (laughs) They're aggrieved about roses. It doesn't ever stop. It's just, it's so crazy. No, there's always something new and wonderful for the loony left to get upset about. <laughs> Gosh, I guess I just didn't expect to wake to that. That somebody's out there writing an op-ed in a prominent national newspaper encouraging people to stop buying roses on Valentine's Day. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. All right. The uh, the big news out of Washington, of course, is that the Senate passed a $95 billion Ukraine-Israel aid package. The GOP, of course, some members of the GOP in the Senate had to vote yes in order for the measure to pass. That's because you have to overcome the 60-vote filibuster-proof threshold. Some 22 Republicans supported the measure, passed 70 to 29. 22 Republicans joined Democrats, Mississippi's Senator Roger Wicker among them. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith voted against the measure. Little surprise, Rhino, that both of our neighboring Louisiana senators supported the measure. Senator Kennedy, Senator uh, Cassidy, both voted yay. 
Now, here's what old Mitt Romney had to say about it. He said it's, quote, the most important vote we will ever take as U.S. Senators. I'm not kidding. It's not securing the border. It's not crime. It's not the economy. It's not the debt. It's not crippling inflation. Nah, none of that. It's we got to give money to Ukraine. And he wonders why he lost the presidential race. Unbelievable. That's a true story. I'm looking at it. And am I the only one that has noticed that you're not seeing any reports or images, uh, video of the war in Ukraine? I mean, what's going on there exactly? Does anybody know? Are we just say, here, have some more money here, and guessing? I mean, there's all kinds of wild reporting. Pretty much, if you can come up with an idea of what might be happening, you can find somebody saying that's happening. Well, that's probably true. But nothing that I've seen empirical, though. So, of course, as far as I can tell, Ukraine has been and seems like they will continue, no matter what we do, losing the war. It seems like they've lost an entire generation of men. Uh, that's kind of my take on it as well. It, it is uh, enduring a, a somewhat longer, I think, than Russia expected. I mean, that's not expected. to say Russia hasn't experienced huge losses, but Russia has a much bigger population to work with, and they will conscript you and put you on the front lines whether you like it or not. Ukraine is running out of people to do that with. Yeah. Senator John Cornett of Tennessee, a top Republican, also voted for it. Senator Charles Grassley, the longest-serving Senate Republican. Number of others, uh, especially those from the Armed Services Committee, which of course includes Senator Roger Wicker, the senior Republican on the panel. Um, he's the ranking member. Senator Mike Rounds, South Dakota. Kevin Kramer, whom I like a lot on economic issues, by the way, he's brilliant. Of North Dakota, Dan Sullivan of Alaska, Joni Ernst, former member of the, the Armed Forces from Iowa, served overseas as an Iowa National Guard officer. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't believe this is necessarily consistent with the wishes of their constituents. I, I just haven't seen too much widespread support. I don't know if you have from Republican voters, the rank-and-file Republicans. I haven't seen that. Hey, please vote to send Ukraine more money. I haven't seen that. I would actually argue the opposite. I saw a decent amount. It wasn't a huge amount of support on social media last night for Senator Paul's attempted filibuster. He did, and he said, what are we going to do, just shove money in boxes or something to that effect? I mean, and it's is it not another situation? For, forget whether or not the the money is warranted, that, that this country, any time we're giving money away, spending money, period, there should be some benefit that inures to the American people. Nobody's explained to me yet that that I'm comfortable with that, yeah, we're actually receiving significant benefit. Now, I've heard all the stories about, well, this keeps Russia in check, and they won't be uh, able to just plow through Ukraine and then just march right into Western um, Europe, uh, the Western European nations and so forth. I haven't heard that. I mean, I know that's, I guess, kind of the assertion that we hear and the rationale 
But I, I think people need more, a uh, uh, more detailed explanation. Especially when this whole package is essentially the last thing they tried to get passed that also included money for our border, even though the money for our border security was minuscule compared to the money we're sending overseas. At least there was something in it for us. But instead, they couldn't get that through. So we'll just take out the little bit that was for America and see if we can get it done again. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I'm going to... I'm going to suggest a theory here, purely a theory. Mr. Senator Tom Tillis, you know him, North Carolina. Look it up for me, Rhino. I'm pretty sure he's not running for re-election. So he said the stakes are high and we must meet. No, pardon me, that's Senator Collins. He said, I think there is a common understanding that if we fail on this vote, if we don't support Ukraine, this is not bluster. This is not hyperbole bad things are going to happen. Here's what he said with regard to potential backlash. I'm sure that his switchboard's lighting up, just like I feel certain that Senator Wickers is from constituents in Mississippi. One of our listeners said, in fact, uh, let's see, who is it? Willis in Hattiesburg uh, said, I've called Wickers' office before on a day for a vote to ask which way he intends to vote and was told he hadn't decided yet. Before, but I don't know that he's he's indicating he called today. But nonetheless, this is what Senator Tillis said. As for potential backlash, he said he's not worried. Here is he running or not? Is he is he? Uh, did you find that? I want to say for some reason he announced he is not running for re-election. I can't find him saying that. Okay, so when is his term in? My theory is he's not going to run for re-election, that he's accommodating Senator Mitch McConnell, the minority leader here. And when it comes time to cobbling together a spending bill, same thing you remember we saw in the omnibus bill in 2022, when those senators that were retiring inserted gobs of dollars in earmarks back home. And they were able to do that because uh, they essentially supported um, measures the way Senator McConnell wanted them to. Thus, he allowed these earmarks to be included. But um, He took office 2000 for this term, so 2006. Okay. When he runs out. Well, or 26. Keep 26, it. yeah. Uh, for some reason, I think he's not running. We'll keep uh, on there. But it's just a theory, that because that's what happened last time. It's the only reason I'm saying it. Remember, uh, who was it? The senator in Alabama, Shelby, $600 million. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well studio. Seventy center senators saying yes, says Donald in Oxford on the ceasefire text line. Follows what has been that 65 to 75 percent of America supports Ukraine, depending on what poll you choose. I just don't think Trump can get independent vote not supporting Ukraine. I've seen the same polls, uh, but notwithstanding that, I think that on a matter, certainly on a matter such as this, that our representatives, both in the House and the Senate, I think should vote in accordance with the wishes of their voters. Now, you know, sometimes I do think there are situations where those on the inside, under the dome, have access to information that the average voter doesn't, and sometimes that may cause them to vote in a way that at least appears to be opposite of the people whom they represent. This isn't the case here, I don't feel. And there's no doubt that uh, Senator Mitch McConnell supported this measure, and he was looking for essentially, I believe, nine other Republicans to join him so that the measure could pass, at least um, beyond the filibuster there. Now, we should point out the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, has said dead on arrival in the House, going nowhere. In fact, I'd be shocked if he even brings it up. I don't I don't think you'll see a vote on it at this point, just based on his communications about the matter. And it's not – I don't think it's been transmitted to his chamber yet. If it, if it did, it just happened. Wow, the 10-year Treasury, i got to tell you this, folks, up nearly 10 basis points today. That is a huge rise in the 10-year Treasury. And that is because investors think this inflation is sticky. And if they're going to put their money away for 10 years, they're demanding a higher yield on that instrument to account for the rise in inflation. That's how it works. Uh, You know, I know the former president, Donald Trump, is advised against supporting the measure. I've seen lots of folks, Rhino, say they're wondering if the former president will endorse any candidates um, in the upcoming Senate or House races. I don't know. I've not seen any endorsements to this point. Of course, we got primaries right around the corner. Would the president step in and endorse someone in our primary coming up in less than a month now? February the 12th, I believe. Uh, pardon me, March the 12th, right? I think that's when the primary is here. Got moved up this year. We just crossed the one-month mark yesterday. I don't know. What I do recall is that in 2020, he really didn't get involved in any races other than his own. I think he felt he had his hands full with his campaign to win re-election to the White House. Now, in the midterms, that's totally different, and it's very common and appropriate for a sitting president to uh, endorse candidates really across the country, and certainly in the very contentious races, and, and especially in the primary. Now, he did somewhat in um, in 22, the, the former president did, even though he wasn't in office. Many believe that 
that uh, actually negatively impacted some races. And that's extremely subjective, of course, and very difficult to measure. But there are some that just hold that view. Um, we'll see. I, I don't. At this point, it'd be hard for me to believe that with the primary in Mississippi or the Super Tuesday around the corner, I've not seen him step out and announce endorsement for any candidates. I think he's focused on his own race at this point. Of course, legal issues that are going on as well. Uh, We'll see where all that goes. Right now, we're, of course, awaiting the Supreme Court's decision on the case they heard last week concerning Colorado's removal of the former president from their ballot. All the legal scholars' analyses that I've read indicate they expect a 9-0 or 7-2 vote that would overturn the Colorado decision. And they don't feel like that the, the case was made. And they're also measuring, I believe, considering the statements made by the justices, including the left-leaning justices. Of course, we talked to law professor Christopher Green about that as well. I think that was, in general, his take on it and in aligns with his expectations. Is that kind of what you got out of that yesterday, Rhino? Oh, yeah. So we're, that's a big one. And then this immunity situation where the circuit court, the appeals court, has rejected uh, the former president's request for presidential immunity concerning the actions on January the 6th, 21, and so that's likely to head to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure at this point if anybody's handicapping or projecting the outcome of that, but that's kind of a synopsis of the legal matters. And then there's the document situation in Mar-a-Lago. I just don't see how the prosecution there could rule that the former president violated any such laws concerning handling of classified information. When you consider that just last week, a special counsel recommended against prosecuting the current president for his mishandling of documents as a vice president. And senator. And senator, yes, thank you. Been accumulating those documents for a while. What for? I don't get it, honestly. I mean, apparently to give to his ghostwriter to write his book. Well, that's true, and that—that's against the law, right? And that was rather revealing when you got a ghostwriter that's being exposed to this information. So Donald in Oxford says, "I think House Speaker Johnson has no choice but to bring it to a floor vote after last night's ruling." I could be wrong. I. I'm just speculating that he might not. If he does, I still think that it, it fails. I don't see it passing in the U.S. House. Uh, something else, though, that is possibly going to occur today is this impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas. Remember last week, 216-214, and on a procedural move where one of the Republicans flipped their vote. It was 215-215, which means the measure fails. Flipped. Um. To be a no at that point, that essentially enables another vote, the way I understand it. Uh, Representative Steve Scalise was absent. They feel like if they can get him back on the floor to cast a vote, that could tilt it in the other direction today, 216, 214. What they're trying to avoid 
is the seating of a new rep coming from the district which George Santos vacated. That election is occurring today in the great state of New York. And I think it's a toss-up from everything I'm seeing at this point. I've not seen anything that shows a significant lean in one direction or another. So if that, if the result there is that the Democrat wins, and then they're immediately seated, that changes the numbers, the math in the House, and the impeachment is likely off the table. Now, all that means is that you voted to impeach. It still requires conviction removal in the U.S. Senate, which isn't going to happen. I guess you could say it sends a strong message, though. And in in my view, the secretary um, has committed uh, offenses that I think warrants impeachment. He's certainly lost the trust of the American people. You could argue that he's lied under oath. I mean, when he comes on and says, the border is secure, and that he's, I think, the charge willfully, the article in the article willfully and systemically failed to discharge his duty as Secretary of Homeland Security. So we'll see. But lots of stuff going on, man, Um, certainly up in Washington. Back here at home, my friends down at the legislature, back in a session, of course, there was an interesting measure I saw yesterday, uh, Rhino, concerning building codes and permits in the House of Voting to essentially transfer that authority to cities and counties as opposed to uh, being administered at the state level. Kind of interesting. Still waiting to see what happens with the ballot initiative over in the Senate and mobile sports betting. Those two are measures which have passed the House, transmitted to the Mississippi State Senate, and we await the outcome. We're stepping aside for a break on middays in the Element Well studio. It's Jerry Lake, the owner of Carter Jewelers, next. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. We're in the Element Wealth uh, studio today. We welcome to the program now Mr. Jerry Lake, the owner of Carter Jewelers, on location there at Carter Jewelers. How about it, Jerry? What's going on today? It's the day before Valentine's. I know you're selling some jewelry. 
Hey, Gerard. I'm, uh, I'm just, I think Gary's still working with the controls over here. I can barely hear you, but uh, anyway, can you hear me? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, we are continuing uh, my retirement liquidation sale here. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we still got a big selection of uh, diamond jewelry, particularly like engagement rings, diamond bands, earrings, pendants. Uh, there are some things like watches that we're just about sold out of, and our our gifts are, are bare. But uh, as far as diamond jewelry goes and gold jewelry, uh, there we go. It's... Uh, we're uh i've got a lot of uh gorgeous jewelry that has it's got to be sold and uh it's uh you know this is this is some of the most beautiful jewelry ever made best quality and the absolute best prices in the world and right now too you know if if you come in <coughs> Uh, and our prices are not what you want to pay. Tell us what'll work for you. Make an offer. Uh, it's uh, you know it it with the massive amount of uh, jewelry that I that I had here, and and also the store in Vicksburg. It's just you can only sell so many engagement rings and and diamond wedding bands and uh, earrings and pendants in a few months, as I found out. But. Uh, Anyway, it's uh, you're going to find the prettiest jewelry you've ever seen at the, at the best prices. This this is, I think, for our customers. Uh, you're talking about one of the biggest fine jewelry inventories in the in the region. And even though we've sold we've sold a lot, the selection is still incredible. So uh, uh, it's. Uh, it's it's Valentine's tomorrow, and uh, you could really uh, let me tell you. To me, they're given a, a piece of beautiful jewelry is it's a real romantic thing. But when it's the best made, best quality jewelry, and at the best prices in the world, it really adds a lot more romance particularly to the person uh, who's putting the bill on it. But also the, also the ones who receive it. You know, a lot of times it's a wife, and they appreciate getting a phenomenal value on a gorgeous piece of jewelry. And uh, the kind of jewelry that, that we sell, it's, it's not good quality. It's, it's really it's the best quality ever made. I use what I consider to be the, the number one best manufacturer in the world to produce it so many of these styles i've designed and i can tell you something it's it's better than your best brands you can go to tiffany's or some of the best stores and i'm I'm not going to say that ours is going to be superior but i'll tell you something the, the deals you you can buy the jewelry here for some of it for what you pay on the tax there you need to come <laughs> in and take a look it's uh 
Yeah, it, it, it really, it, it really, uh, if, if somebody is on a budget and you want a beautiful piece of jewelry at the right price, you need to come see us. Great selection. We'll package it right. And it's something that, uh, that'll be cherished for usually whoever you're giving it to and then loved ones after that. So anyway, it's my retirement sale. And, uh, you know, a lot, some people say, well, why don't you just, sell everything to the new owners you know they have limited resources and a limited line of credit and they have to buy all the basics so it's just uh there's not there's not too many people that could come in and and buy uh, the the inventory that i've carried so i think gary's uh telling me that maybe my time's coming (laughs) up here so uh, you got you got any questions i I also want to just say one last thing i think this is statewide uh uh broadcast i don't care where you are in the state or if you hear this message if you've got an interest in buying a a a nice piece of fine jewelry it'd be worth your time to to make the drive over here to jackson we're two blocks from the capital downtown jackson and the uh, Pemberton Plaza in Vicksburg. All anyway, right. uh, th- thanks for having yep. me, and uh, we'll happy talk to Valentine's you in an hour. to you out there, uh, Gerard, and all your listeners. Sounds good. All right, have we'll a good be back day. in an hour. We got right, Fox News, you. Super Talk News next. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio, hour two of the program. We got Carter Jewelers doing cut-ins with us. Uh, Mr. Jerry Lake will join us again at 11.50 and then at 12.50. But right now it's Robert Dozier, Executive Director of the Mississippi Independent Pharmacies Association. Robert, always good to see you, sir. Good morning. Good to see you. All right. So you guys sent me some information about this uh, this lawsuit and um, that involves pharmacy benefit managers and an employer, actually, here in this case. Um, and the subject... Quick take, the shot heard round the ERISA world. Um, I was just sharing with you offline there that the whole PBM ecosystem is complicated enough. You throw this lawsuit in there, which which is now uh, targeting an employer group for essentially for breach of fiduciary responsibility, that just exacerbates the complexities of this just Byzantine system that frustrates the hell out of everybody. It, it is. It is. It's a very complex issue um, because number one, there's no transparency in it, and you throw in a lawsuit of this kind right here. And you know, the lawsuit was filed in New Jersey last week, and um, you and I were kind of talking about that earlier. The it's 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 different because the beneficiary, the employee of the company is suing the the health insurance plan, the the employer. 
yeah. because of they they think they there's a breach of fiduciary responsibility. In 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 other cases, the employee or the beneficiary would sue the pharmacy benefit manager. That's not in this case right here because they're going after the employer saying, "Hey, you didn't do your job to help reduce prescription drug costs." And prescription drug costs are steadily going up year after year after year. And it's and it, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but if you're sitting here and you look at the the model, employer groups' healthcare costs concerning prescription drugs are steadily going up year after year. The employees' copays, monthly premiums, yearly premiums, or whatever, are going up, and then the pharmacies' reimbursements are going down. So where's the problem right here? You know, it's the it's the pharmacy benefit managers that are out there that are making all of the money that are in control of this whole thing. And anytime you introduce legislation or anything of that nature to to add sunlight, transparency to it, oh my God, it's just like oh you're gonna you're fixing to raise prescription drug prices, and and that's a big scare tactic. So uh, a question that comes to mind, uh, Robert, just just. My my knowledge of uh, employer group <coughs> health coverage. Typically, the prescription drug component is is, uh, is is featured within the the carriers group plan, right? Mm-hmm. And so, is this a situation where this carrier is contracting with a PBM for that aspect of the plan? And then the next question I have is. Is this one of those situations where the carrier actually owns the PBM because they've all been busy out buying PBMs and sort of vertically integrating that's right. you, that, uh, and that's health insurance one, and, and yeah. the PBM pro- we, part of we it? We have an issue right here, and you and I have talked about this before. In, in healthcare in general, there's too much vertical integration going on. Yeah. And in the pharmacy world, and especially on the PBM side, there is a lot of vertical integration where they own the insurance company owns the PBM or vice versa. The PBM owns the retail pharmacy. They own the specialty pharmacy. They own the mail order pharmacy and such. There is real no competition out there in the in the pharmacy prescription drug world. Okay. And the PBMs want to keep that chokehold like they have it right now. It's <laughs> not good for the employer groups, it's not good for the pharmacies, and it's really not good for the beneficiaries slash patients. So in this case, that beneficiary, that subscriber patient, Mm -hmm. who's obviously an employee of this company, this organization, is contending that the employer... And their offering of, of, of coverage, of health care coverage, as, as a benefit to their employees, uh, didn't fulfill their fiduciary responsibility for at least shopping and offering options that might be lower cost in this area. That's correct. That is 100% correct. The, it is that patient, the beneficiary's uh, uh, thought, and, and I guess, you know, their right to file a lawsuit yeah. against this company because they feel like they have been wronged in, in the company's fiduciary duty to help keep these health care costs down. I'll give you an example. One, one example from the case is, and you've heard me talk about this, is pharmacy benefit managers love to use this AWP model, this re- this uh, average wholesale price model. Well, average wholesale price has been shown to be an inflated number. 
So you're already starting with an inflated number that yeah. can easily be manipulated. That's That's been proven. Well, what the patient is saying is you should have used a true cost. And there is a national benchmark out there that determines cost. It's national average drug acquisition cost. It's cost. Everybody can see that. There is, it's, it's, uh, it's a totally transparent number. So when you have a totally transparent number versus a number that's already been inflated you know there's the there's a difference right there so what they did is they did some comparison and at the end of the comparison the they did probably 40 to 50 specialty drugs Mm -hmm. these are high dollar drugs right here and that's what's really costing these companies and the beneficiaries of these specialty drugs they did the comparison between nadac national average drug acquisition costs and average wholesale price awp and at the end of the day the totals prove that the AWP out of all these drugs is roughly 500% higher than it would if they would have used the national average drug acquisition cost methodology. I'm looking at one of the examples. Uh, you have to help me with the pronunciation, but teriflanomide? That, that sounds good. We'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> 82 bucks on, the, on this NAS, uh, NASDAQ, NADAC cost model. PBM cost sixteen thousand eight hundred twenty-two bucks for ninety-day supply. Sixteen thousand versus eighty-two, and then another one. I can't say it. Amantanib mesylate. Uh, NADAC cost of one hundred sixty bucks versus the PBM cost of sixteen thousand three hundred and ninety-eight for a ninety-day supply. I've never heard of those drugs. I suspect those are the specialty type drugs That's you're talking correct. about. Yes, and and just obscure essentially. Yeah, and you know, and here's the deal: the PBMs and a lot of these contracts they sign with the uh, employer groups. Yeah, they get to define what specialty is. Uh, yeah, so it's okay. all about the definition as well too. So, and a lot of times they define what specialty is by the by the cost $500 or more it's not that it's a special drug that has to be mixed and compounded a certain way it's just based on cost well clearly when it's 16 bucks right versus <laughs> or whatever 82 bucks versus 16,000 clearly it's not specialty and that's got some sort of rare chemical ingredients or a, a complex difficult costly process to produce yeah i mean and, and that's the whole thing the pbms do not want to move away from this awp methodology they do not want transparency um because Look, this right here, you're, you're looking at, um, you know, you see the grand total of, uh, all of these drugs there at the end of that, um, the spreadsheet, you know, the, the, the NADAC, the true yeah. cost would have been $28,000 versus the AWP, $167,000. Where do you see this going, Robert? Um, employer groups are going to have to start really digging into how pharmacy benefit managers operate. They're going to have to start looking at true, transparent PBMs, and there are some out there. I, I don't have any affiliation with any of them, so I'm not pushing any particular uh, transparent PBM, but they are out there. Some are actually working in the state of Mississippi already. We have to get to a transparent model to where it saves the employer group's money. Uh, it could save the state of Mississippi money, you know, with the state health plan. And it, but, but at the end of the day, it saves the employee, the patient money. 
this lawsuit could be a game changer. It could it could it could, uh, it could set uh, case precedent, as you know, where em- employers are on the hook. That's um, correct. And and their their weight comes into bear into this this just crazy ecosystem that involves prescription drugs. I mean, it, this could really change the entire industry. It, it, it could, and and I'll I'll tell you this: there, like I said earlier, there are companies in the state of Mississippi that are using transparent. PBMs. Okay. Um, I talked to a gentleman who represents a transparent PBM, and it, his first client here in the state of Mississippi, they've had um, a relationship with them over a year. And I, and I just straight asked him, I said, have you saved that client money compared to when they were biz- doing business with a traditional? And he said, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would think so. Just a little bit of, of sunlight would uh, cause that to happen. Sunlight goes a long way. All right. Well, keep us abreast of this. Appreciate you coming in and uh, unraveling the complexities <laughs> here. And we, I mean, th- again, this could really be. And this is what state? New Jersey. That's what I thought. New yeah. Jersey. So who knows where this is going? But I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see similar cases, right? Well, we, you and I probably just gave a lot of people a, an idea. Exactly right. <laughs> Appreciate you coming in, Robert. Thanks All right, my a lot, friend. Man. Take yep. care. Coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, we got Mr. Jerry Lake, owner of Carter Jewelers, joining us again at 11.50 and then at 12.50 today. So we uh, have got kind of a, a hybrid, if you will, Rhino. We're in the studio. We got folks down there taking care of business, the Super Talk team, helping Mr. Lake for the cut-in. So we appreciate that. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, this... This PBM stuff, it's brutally complicated. And I would encourage anyone, if you're interested, go out and just search it on the Internet and select under under Google, select the images option. And go look at the gazillion of graphics, the flow charts that depict uh, the flow from a transaction perspective. And I'm talking about the, the delivery of pharmaceutical um, products and, and prescription drugs. Just just go look at the business relationship and the flow between the PBMs, the insurers, the employer, the manufacturers. I may be leaving a party out here. The, uh, the subscriber, the provider, it will hurt your head. It's so dang complicated. I mean, really, it's hard to follow. Intentionally, I believe. I still maintain this goes back to 2010. Your favorite, the Affordable Care Act, 
is enacted into law, and it included a provision that they thought was so noble. It's called the medical loss ratio, MLR, is how it is referred to in the industry. And essentially what it says is, okay, insurance companies, the carriers, the folks that sell you insurance, 80% of what you take in in terms of premium revenue, you're going to pay out in claims. And if you don't achieve that standard, you're going to send everybody a rebate, all your subscribers. Since that was enacted, I don't know that it's happened so much here in Mississippi with the carriers that are popular in Mississippi, but tens of billions of dollars of rebate checks have been sent to subscribers. Now, that doesn't amount to a lot individually. It doesn't take long when you think about how many people have health insurance. It doesn't take long to to add up to a few billion dollars, honestly. But what that has caused, essentially it regulates the profit of the insurance industry. You can't make any more than this. Done. That's the most you're going to make. And so, and I'm not defending this, but this is why there's such sticklers on approving claims, prior approval. You know, we've got a bill that just passed the Senate, uh, state Senate on that uh, last week or a week before. But that's why, and again, I'm not defending insurance companies. I'm just explaining the economic model. Nor am I attacking them. I, I'm not doing either. But here's what happens. Inevitably, inevitably, okay, government, you're going to limit the amount of money I can make in this line of business. I'm going to go find me another line of business where I can actually produce a profit. A more reasonable profit, because their net income as a percentage of revenue is the lowest of any industry. It's awful. Again, not defending. I'm just explaining. It's a four, the healthcare economy is four and a half trillion dollars. The total aggregate net income of the top five insurers, which account for 85% of the private coverage in these United States, is about $40 billion. It's 1%. Cut that 1% out of your premiums. Woohoo! Again, not defending. I'm just explaining the math. So here's what they do. They say, okay, well, we're going to go... We're going to go figure out somewhere else in the industry that we understand and know and operate in to make money. So they start buying up these pharmacy benefit managers, the vertical integration. So they got more control, if you think about every aspect of your insurance relationship. And they use the PBMs, essentially, which are not subject to this profit limitation, this damn socialism that the ACA implemented in healthcare. Not that it already didn't exist to some extent, but they just ratcheted it up. They amped it up with that law. Well, those are the unintended consequences that nobody thought about. So now the the main carriers go buy these companies up, these PBMs, they enter that industry, so they can make a return for their stockholders. That's what's going on here. I'm telling you that's what's going on. Didn't know this crap existed till then. But the... Uh, you know, all those really smart people, those brainiacs in Washington, imagine they didn't think about that. They just felt like this would be popular and reasonable to limit their profit. The other thing that's part of that bill that 
Again, this is the government protecting you, as they said. You can't sell policies that have annual caps, and all that really means is once they have paid so much for um, your health care, insurers I'm talking about, they're done. You're on your own now after that. But that coverage is way cheaper than what we buy today. You're shaking your head. You know this. Oh, yeah. And then the other aspect is you can't have a, a lifetime cap because before the Affordable Care Act, it was common to have insurance uh, for the carriers to offer uh, policies, coverage, that have had annual caps and lifetime caps. After that, can't do it. Now, that sounds great, except then you get the bill. Well, this is what it's going to cost you since we now are on the hook forever. That's what's exactly what's going on here. Now, a lot of these are complex moral, ethical issues, but I can tell you this. I think that people ought to have the option, at least. Should they not? If I don't want coverage, especially well, a young if the, person. if the Democrats under Obama had really cared about those that were risking, to, risking being uninsured because of hitting a cap, they very well could have made up something to help out that tiny percentage of the population instead of screwing up insurance for everybody. That's exactly what happened. So whether you like it or not, you've got to have um, – you could only buy policies that meet the so-called minimum ex, uh, essential coverage standards, and this is one of them. Like free wellness visits is another one. That's great. But you're paying through the nose for the premiums for that privilege. It's not like it's f- truly free, but that's the way they presented it. And people were just, you know, like the train sales. I will never forget when this thing was being debated just before it, it was enacted into law. And they had this freaking ceremony, this pomp and circumstance there on the White House lawn. And you had all these doctors and healthcare professionals with their white coats. Oh, we're all about this affordable. You remember that crap? <laughs> it was so phony, so feigned. And then we learned some of those people weren't even really physicians. <laughs> They just had their coats on. They were acting as, as physicians and healthcare professionals. All for, uh, for the image projection. The optics. Yeah, the optics, right. So, uh, but that's what's going on. Just a little diatribe there. And, and now look at where we are. Average price of family coverage in this country, twenty-four grand a year. And for individual coverage, nine, ten, depending on where you live. New Jersey, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, I just pointed out because... It's it's the uh, the venue for this particular PBM lawsuit. I think it has the highest premiums of all the fifty states, and from what I can tell, it's largely because they layered on more requirements in policies, more than the federal government requires under the minimum essential coverage requirements. They more it's all the transgender care stuff and all that kind of drug addiction treatment. Whether you want or need that or not, damn it, you're paying for it. It's like thirty grand in New Jersey for um, family coverage, if I'm not mistaken. Meanwhile, I got this just caught my attention, pivoting a bit. You know, we got the big special election in New York today. All eyes on that. We also have a hugely important U.S. Senate race in California. A eh? now, odds are a Democrat's going to win. Uh, you just can't see the the outcome being anything but. Former Los Angeles Dodgers first baseman star Steve Garvey running as a Republican. Okay, but one of those 
One of those running is Representative Barbara Lee from the state of California. And, of course, Adam Schiff, the old socialist himself. Okay, so they had a debate last night in California as they approached the primary election day that that featured the candidates. Barbara Lee is advocating for, are you ready for this? $50. $50 an hour minimum wage. $50. $100,000 a year minimum wage. How much would that cause uh, the cost of a Big Mac to go up? 30 bucks for a Big Mac to pay a $50 minimum wage? Unbelievable. She said, well, a family of four making $127,000 a year is just barely getting by in the Bay Area. Well, duh, that's because of your dumb policies. Good grief. We're stepping aside. We're in the Element Well studio coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. Oh, gosh, so much going on. Um, The debt is something we should talk about. The CBO released a report last week. They are projecting a $188 billion decrease in this year's federal budget deficit. Now, before you celebrate, understand that means it's only going to be $1.6 trillion this year. <laughs> and, and by the way, this isn't because of any, um, any hatchet taken to the spending. No, this is really it's a timing issue of when money comes in and the way the calendar sets up when it goes out. So don't celebrate just yet. But... What what we should pay attention to is what they're projecting in terms of deficit and debt over the next decade. What they are saying is that we can expect that deficits will be $2 trillion on average or above over the next 10 years, that the interest on the debt which is presently exploding, this year we're looking at a $1 trillion price tag just to cover our interest costs. The only budgetary line item that is costlier than interest in the fiscal year 2024 is Social Security, which has always been the top spending item. It sits at about $1.1 trillion. But this year, for the first time ever, our interest tab will exceed our military spending, something that clear-minded 
clear-eyed people believe is a core function of government. That's not to say that there aren't opportunities to cut spending in the military that also is somewhat rife with waste of fraud and abuse, and you probably are aware of the fact that the Pentagon has been unable to, pro- unable to provide a proper accounting for all of the assets that it is ostensibly acquired with the money appropriated to it by the Congress. In 10 years, the CBO projects annual interest, this is mind-boggling, will be $3 trillion a year, just interest. Now, again, for comparative sake, in 2019, before the COVID year, let's just take that off the table, the total federal spending was $4.3 trillion. We're talking about in 10 years, interest alone will be three, essentially three quarters of what we spent in 2019 to run the whole dang government. It, uh, our debt, of course, increased by $8 trillion under President Trump. It's set to rise by $8.2 trillion once Joe Biden completes his first term in office, and I pray is not around for another term. But here's what concerns me. I, I don't really see anything changing. I don't care who gets elected. What's going to change? I mean, they, they talk a great game. Oh, we're going to cut spending. We've got to cut the radical spending. Here's $100 billion. Go away. We did it. Dude, the deficit's $2 trillion. I want to see $2 trillion. You're not, you're not going to be able to tackle the debt until you quit adding to it. And as long as you're producing a deficit, you're adding to it. So the first step is you've got to balance the budget. How are you going to do that? And if you ask anybody, I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. Of course, on the other side, on the left side of the aisle, the answer to every budgetary question is more taxes. And on the right side is we got to cut the spending. Okay, what spending are you going to cut? It's too much radical spending. we got to cut it. I'm generalizing here, I know, but I ask you, Rhino, have you heard anybody offer specifics on reducing $2 trillion of spending? To balance the budget. I would think the closest we've seen to specifics is Rand Paul's cart covered with stickers. Because <laughs> the stickers have specifics of wasted money. They do, but it's not $2 trillion. I applaud Rand Paul. It also Rand feels Paul. like the stickers are a bit of a waste I agree. Money. I, and I applaud Rand, I do, for, for shining the light on some of the nonsense. And I agree. But, but again, just mathematically, we could cut every dime of it. No more agencies. Just get rid of every agency. Imagine. No more military. Every bit of it. Gone. No soldiers. No assets. No bases. Nothing. Zero. We still generate a $300 billion deficit. That's how screwed up it is. And I know a lot of people on our text line say, well, we've got to start somewhere. We ain't got time to just start somewhere. That's the problem. And here's what happens. If we're going to generate $2 trillion deficits for the next decade, and they don't go out beyond a decade, they don't stop after the, the decade, and later on another uh, 20-something trillion of debt, well, to cover the deficit spending, you know what you got to do? Print money. you got to print money out of thin air. And guess what that causes? 
inflation. That's why I don't see it going away. I know we got this report today, and investors promptly started to sell off, started shifting money into bonds, and bond yields went up because they're demanding higher yields. If they're going to park their money for 10 years, and when we're facing what appears to be long-term inflation. And so you got housing affordability, which is extremely low. We don't have any inventory moving around. People are sitting on these 2 and 3% mortgages. They're not moving. They couldn't afford to. They'd have to, they'd have to downsize their property significantly to afford the higher interest rates on a mortgage, those that did that. So we don't have any inventory, and that's that's keeping prices somewhat elevated. And you combine that with higher mortgage rates, it's a toxic elixir. And a lot of folks, just they're priced out of the market. In the meantime, you got old foolish Liz Warren. I sent you some sound there. You got that? Rent is too damn high. Why? In part because of high interest rates. Let me explain. High interest rates mean high mortgage rates for landlords. And when landlords pay more, you pay more. High interest rates also mean it's harder for somebody to buy a home. When fewer people buy homes, there are more renters. And that drives up the price of renting even more. And high interest rates mean one more thing. Construction gets more expensive. And that means fewer homes and fewer apartments get built. Today, we're seeing some of the highest interest rates in more than 20 years, and they're hurting people. Of course, it's not just interest rates. We need to build more housing, period. But high interest rates are part of the problem in front of us right now. That's why I'm pushing the Fed to lower interest rates. Enough is enough. Well, isn't she something there? (laughs) I I cannot stand And is it just me, or does she deliver that in in just kind of a tone that just makes it sound like, I'm the only one that understands this. I'm going to explain it to you now. It's it's Kamala Harris, right, with a yellow school bus crap. Let me... Let me enlighten you. You don't really get this, that higher interest rates means your mortgage is <laughs> unbelievable. But, of course, her solution is government. Force. Force the Fed. you got to just go out there, Jerome Powell, and lower those rates, which would fix it for about a month. And you'd jump in and maybe buy your house, and then guess what happens after that? Inflation ensues and skyrockets. And here we are, back to the same dang place we were. Actually, worse is what happens. And this lady, is she like chair of the Senate uh, Banking Committee or something? She's got some powerful committee chair that deals with economic policy and banking, financial policy, which, of course... chair chair of the Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Okay. Don't you feel better now knowing she's in charge? It's just lunacy. I mean, it really is. And she, she, again, and if you go look at the comments when she posts stuff like that, I mean, I hate to say it, they're as disillusioned as she is. It's a nice way of putting it, of course. Oh, my God. If you really want to get down in the dumps, just remind yourself, those idiots vote. <laughs> That's exactly right. And they don't have a dang clue what they're dealing with and what they're talking about. 
Also, pay no attention to the fact that we've got a couple states' worth of illegal immigrants that also need housing. $451 billion is what the cost to deal with the illegals in this country is estimated to be. And that's combined, state and federal, by the way. It's mostly state and local. That's where it's coming from. But these are the same people that are faced with these costs. These are the ones that said, come on in. Unbelievable. We're stepping aside for a break. When we come back, it's Jerry Lake, the owner of Carter Jewelers. There's still a. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays from the Element Well Studio. Once again, it's Mr. Jerry Lake, the owner of Carter Jewelers, on location downtown Jackson, two blocks from the Capitol at Carter Jewelers. Uh, we got a big Valentine's Day coming up tomorrow. Uh, Jerry, and jewelry is like a perfect gift. Uh, you know, for Valentine's Day, I really... It's always a perfect gift is if the uh, recipient likes jewelry. And, you know, most uh, particularly women do. Uh, Gerard, I want to tell you, I heard a big compliment on you yesterday. So I just wanted to pass that on to okay. you. But, uh, no, this uh, we're having my, my uh, retirement liquidation sale. I'm selling, uh, I'm selling my business here in Jackson and also the one in Vicksburg. And... Uh, I have uh, prices are, are marked down up to 90%. There's like a whole case where everything in there is 90%. But the majority of the jewelry in here is going to be uh, below jeweler's cost. Uh, the selection for like uh, fine diamond jewelry and gold jewelry is incredible. You know, it's uh, you know we've had this sale going on for a few months, but you can only sell so many engagement rings and diamond bands, diamond earrings, pendants, you know, and and uh, and, and neckwear. But it's uh, you know I think we carried. Uh, I think by far the biggest uh, inventory and selection in in fine diamond jewelry than anybody within hundreds of of miles around here, uh, even compared to other regional stores. So, it's uh, I, I think with the selection, the quality, and uh, selling at the best prices in the world on some of the prettiest jewelry you'll ever lay your eyes on, it can really uh, be a big. Buying, I think, lifetime buying opportunity. If you've got, you know, if you got people that the, that you want to give it to, and you've got the disposable income, and we have uh, interest-free and no credit check uh, financing, uh, it's uh, uh, you need to come in. You know, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and uh, you could uh, you could really. Uh, be a good guy and make somebody happy for a little while. And if, if maybe, 
you know, that could be, uh, that happiness could be reflected, you know, for the rest of their lives when you, you figure a, a lot of these pieces of jewelry, they, they'll be getting thousands of compliments and, and potentially every day. So it's, uh, this is a, a great selection. It's going to be, uh, and there's nothing really uh, more romantic than, than giving a beautiful piece of fine jewelry like him on maybe a, a valent, the Valentine's occasion. But when you know it's the best quality ever made at the lowest prices in the world, uh, it really can sweeten things up. And I want to tell you, uh, you know, my options here is to sell to the future owners or I sell to like uh, industry liquidators. I can't retire uh, on jewelry. So uh, I, I want to tell you, feel, I want you to come in and feel comfortable. And I want to know if, if the price we've got on it doesn't work for you, tell me what you're willing to give. Make an offer. And because I'm better off and, and, and you're better off if, if we can make a deal over the counter because I've got to sell this story. You, you know what my, my options are. So, and, and if the future owners, they have limited resources and lines of credit and they've got to carry all the basics. So, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, I mean, it's maybe not so good for me that I had such a massive amount of jewelry t- to have to sell, but I think it's a, uh, it, it really, it really can add up to a phenomenal deal and a, and a, and a selection second to none that you have to select from. And, and Gerard, I, I think this is a statewide broadcast. I didn't have any idea you were going to put me where they're going to on the camera, but uh, that's okay. But what I want to I want to say is that uh, uh, wherever you are in this broadcast, I I would be very surprised if it's not worth your time to drive to Jackson. We're two blocks from the Capitol on High Street. Or our store over in Vicksburg at the Pemberton Plaza. Uh, I, I think uh, the savings and and the kind of quality we're selling compared to ninety eight percent of the other jewelry stores. I mean, I mean these these commercial jewelry stores at the mall. There's about a hundred things about a piece of jewelry that is going to be better about what we're selling than what you're going to get over there. Not to mention. The incredible price, and uh, it, it's so uh, and it's packaged well, and and I think uh, coming from us, I mean they know that that we deal in good quality, so it's uh, anyway. And I think uh, my time perhaps is is ending here soon, but you know I I really appreciate all the customers from and listeners from Super Talk and. Uh, over the years, and, and uh, I love you guys out there, and I, right. you've you've treated us really great. So, Jerry, we'll talk anyway, to you. Happy in an hour. Valentine's Eve, and All right. and uh, see you then. Thank you got to go, folks. It's time for Fox News Super Talk News. It's Jimmy Rafferty, the mayor of Past Christian. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It is the afternoon portion of Middays. We're live in the Element Well studio. We welcome now to the program the mayor of Past Christiane, Mississippi, the Honorable Jimmy Rafferty. What about it there, Mr. Mayor? Good to see you today. Oh, thank you very much, Gerard, for hosting me on Mardi Gras Day. Yeah, man, big time. Uh, tell us about that. I was down there um, over the weekend, Saturday, uh, took in one of the parades over in Biloxi. I was uh, really pleasantly amazed at the huge crowds. I think you got good weather. What's it look like today? Well, I happen to be in New Orleans today, but let me tell you about Sunday in Pastor Shan. Okay. It was a fabulous day. We had seven mayors in, in Pastor Shan. We had the mayor of Hernando, Hattiesburg, Crystal Springs, Prentice, Woodland, and then two from the coast, from Goche and Waveland, and it was an unbelievable event. We even had the state senator from Hernando there. Wow. So we just had, you know, it was a wonderful way to just bring the whole state together. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. Well, it's it's a huge attraction. Uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, certainly does it upright for Mardi Gras, and lots of people really do enjoy it. I know we certainly did. It is a tradition and uh, also has a huge economic impact on the area as well. Does it not, Mayor? It, it, it really does. And getting back to sort of Billy Hughes' theme of one coast, it's yeah. amazing. I mean, just Mardi Gras up and down the coast, and it's bringing a lot of people in. And, and it's a great thing for our economy. Yeah, so um, you sent me some information that I was incredibly impressed at, which uh, um, uh, prevent, presents a lot of the uh, economic development projects and infrastructure projects underway in the city of Past Christiane. Extremely impressive. Give us a, a bit of an overview on some of that. Well, what I'm trying to do, Gerard, is just really bring Pastor Shan back to where it was before the two hurricanes. You know, we had Camille in 69 and then Katrina in 05. Yeah. And Pastor Shan, especially after Katrina, was a parking lot. Yeah. And, you know, we've gotten some great support uh, from the federal government and the state. And, you know, right now we got about $25 million worth of projects going on, you know, roughly $9 million in economic development, maybe $4 million at our harbor, and about $11 million in water and sewage. So... We've just gotten great support, and, and, and what I'm just trying to do is fill in the blanks yeah. and just bring Pastor Shan back to where it was before the storms. Well, just looking at some of these photos, uh, Mayor, of some of of um, some of these renderings of uh, some residential areas, the the past bungalows. You got the St. Paul's Village that includes 36 townhomes, two commercial, Pass Harbor Place at Market Street and Second Street, 12 homes. Very attractive development there, Mayor. That looks great. It, it does, and especially right now when you, all those places you just, you just mentioned were grass 18 years hmm. after Katrina. So finally, it really, it's a great time to be in Mississippi. You know, the state you know, is really in better financial condition than we've ever been yeah. in, and we've gotten great support from our governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the House, and our, and our state senators and representatives, and, and, and now we're able to get these grants. And that that serves as seed money for these developers to come in and bring Pastor Shan back to where we were before the storms. Yeah, and then you've got the harbor. You've got some development going on there as, as well, right? We really do, and we're going to develop our harbor green space. And then also General Joe Spragans has been a big supporter of a cement boardwalk to go the whole way from the Bay St. Louis Bridge to the Biloxi Bridge, and we got in a $2.5 million grant for that. So for that, that's for the first tranche. So, you know, we've been very fortunate. It's, it's all about the support that we're getting from elsewhere is really helping Pascal Chan, you know, develop those areas. 
Yeah, and great place to live as well, Mayor. You got uh, all the amenities. You got great health care in the area, great schools. You're situated between, of course, Mobile and, and New Orleans there. You got all the great amenities of the beautiful Mississippi Gulf Coast. I mean, a great place to live. It, it is. And you mentioned the school system. You know, we have an A rated school system and, you know, a lot of work on behalf of the administrators and the teachers. And it's just, it, it's a great thing to attract people in. And then also, We've just been very lucky. Last year, we were rated as one of the best coastal cities uh, by Coastal Living Magazine. And then this year, we were rated as one of the best under-the-radar beach towns by Realtor.com. So we've been very fortunate. I took a little time when I was down over the weekend just to to, uh, cruise Highway 90 there. And then, uh, of course, the interstate, um, the parkway, uh, pass road, the the, um, little bit north there. Just blown away uh, across the entire coast, Mayor, at the uh, at the activity, the development, um, the shops, the stores, the residential areas. It's incredible. You, you know it is, but but you know it hasn't always been this way. Right, right. You know, really, this is eighteen years after Katrina, and, and for a number of years we didn't get the support from outside of the coast to help redevelop these areas. So that's why. You know, it's it's really it's a state partnership, and that's how we're coming back. Yeah, I mean, it just just uh, anecdotally, just at the traffic. I mean, just lots of vehicles, uh, not congested. It, it wasn't difficult to get around, but that's a pretty good sign of the economic activity uh, in the area. The casinos all look like they were booming. They're all sold out and have lots of activity, and of course, that's generating lots of revenue. Uh, for the area, so um, extremely impressive. Uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, uh, I think the entire coast is kind of a hidden gem, as you mentioned, that uh, the city of Past Christian was was described as. Really good news for the state of Mississippi. It, it is, and, and, and we have this, really, this partnership whereby, you know, the mayors come together, and we, we work very closely together. In fact, I'll never forget when we got this uh, award as being one of the best cities on the coast, I got an email uh, from Billy Hughes, the mayor of Gulfport, he said, Jimmy, a win for Pascashan is a win for the coast. Oh, that's awesome. He that's gets absolutely. that sort of collaboration. It just doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. that And, and Mayor, that hasn't always been the case, has it, sir? And I think right now it's the leadership in place right now, and we're getting, you know, and, and, and it really, you know, it's coming the whole way down from Jackson. You yeah. know, just a lot of positivity. Of course, you know, we haven't solved all the problems. Sure. But just all of us working together, we, we can tackle a lot of these problems yeah. and, and we are intent on, on tackling a lot of these you know leading up to how we come up with with dealing with health care and so forth for the entire state yeah absolutely so uh, anything else that that's not included in this this great deck you sent me i think we've talked about most of these projects anything else that you're working on that you can share with us from a well, well, you yeah. know one thing we do to just keep our community vibrant we have a number of festivals and activities we have art in the past Unbelievable thing. We had, you know, hundreds of vendors there. We had people came the whole way from St. Louis to, 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 to show their art. We have jazz in the past. We have the blessing of the fleet in the past. We yeah. have Christmas in the past. We just have a lot of, of good things going on. Yeah, and you know, we always enjoy coming down and, and uh, hosting the show there for Cruising the Coast, which is a coast-wide event. Lots of collaboration that occurs there across the entire coast. That thing just gets bigger and bigger, biggest car show in the country. Lots of people from all over the country uh, descend upon the Mississippi Gulf Coast for that great event. They really do, because, you know, we like you said earlier, we are a gem. 
And, and, and of course, but that's the kind of balance we got to watch out. We don't want to get too big. Sure. So, so that's just something we're sort of walking that tightrope. We want to keep the charm that we have on the coast right now, and 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 we're working hard to to keep that. But but at, at times it's not easy. Yeah. And, and, and of course, at times you don't please everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Now, anything in particular that um, you're working with your your legislative delegation on you need for the the city or the coast in general? Trying to do. You mentioned past bungalows and yeah. St. Paul's. Well, you know, in between, we just have it in our downtown area. It's, it's grass right now. Mm-hmm. So we've put in for another Gulf Coast restoration grant, and that's right now sitting with the legislature. And, and, and what that will hopefully do is that will hopefully help us fill in some of these blanks it would be a public-private partnership. It would generate about $300,000 in, in taxes. So what that would be doing, you know, we would be increasing our tax base while at the same time not having to increase taxes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, that's that's a win-win, as is always the case. Uh, what about, what about uh, just revenues for the city uh, this fiscal year? How are you doing? Well, we're doing well. We're fortunate enough to be growing. You know, we're projecting a 7.5% growth rate, you know, in, in our tax in our tax base, you know, through, you know, we, we're fortunate enough to have a Walmart you know, that yeah. comprises the majority of our sales taxes. And and as far as our, you know, real estate, which is really good, 18 years after Katrina, we're starting to have a, a lot more home building in the areas that were just grass for yeah. all that time. Yeah, so yeah you'll generate some revenue there. Good thing. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's totally awesome. Um, what about uh, your political future, Mayor? What What are your plans? You, you got anything to share there? Well, I, I, I'd certainly like to remain here in Pasco Sham for quite some time. Uh, my grandfather was married back in 1936, and you know, and, and, and he managed to make an impact. And you know, I think I'm getting, I'm managing to do some good. I've gotten some great support uh, from from all parts of the community. Yeah, the very diverse part of the community. I've gotten a lot of great support, and I think that's. One of the benefits of being in a small town, you get to know almost everyone. You get yeah. to establish relationships with everyone, and, and you get to help people. You know, yeah. right now, a, a, a recent thing we're working on right now is helping people, you know, uh, put roofs on their house. You know, we've had wow. some, pe- some people had homes whereby, you know, this is three years after Hurricane Zeta, and they still have, you know, roof, uh, roofs that are leaking. Hmm. So we've started this project whereby we're working, you know, with some some some, some um, roofing companies along with some uh, other neat. entities, charitable entities, to, to be able to help these people. And well, I tell gotta... you, when you're mayor, you get very few pats on the back. I so understand. Someone, I'm sorry, mayor. Roof, we got to go, but man, I appreciate it. Congratulations on all your success in the great city of Past Christian. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. You it's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! Yay. On Super Talk Mississippi. Passing a good time today, Rhino. It's Mardi Gras. Appreciate uh, Mayor Jimmy Rafferty of Past Christian, Mississippi, for joining Midday's Mardi Gras. By the way, as we thought, it looks like the House is, in fact, set to take another vote on the impeachment of Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. He says, we don't bear responsibility. It's a broken system. 
<laughs> oh, man. Quit the lying. That's why you need to be impeached. Incredible. I uh, I got an article I'm looking at here. This is from the University of California, San Francisco. A scholar. <laughs> what do you think about people they call scholars? <laughs> you usually they got something going on, right? This individual certainly does. Guess what his specialty is, Rhino? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. (laughs) I kid you not. He conducted a lecture on February the 8th. Held as part of the school's Black History Month events. It featured a DEI expert. What does that mean? How do you become an expert in DEI? Dante King, it was entitled Diagnosing Whiteness and Anti-Blackness, colon, White Psychopathology, Collective Psychosis and Trauma in America. Could they come up with any more crazy big words <laughs> than that? So this uh, this individual here, this scholar who spoke... Oh, my gosh. Says that whites are psychopath, psychopaths, and that white people have it written in the law. You can rape black women. <laughs> Sounds like I a little bit of projection there on the whole psychopath Just a thing. little bit. <laughs> he also makes excuses for black teenagers who commit violent crime. Have I not told you? That was the goal. Not that you ever disputed it. That is the goal. To decriminalize crime. That free speech is violence, and violence is excused as speech. That's exactly what he's saying right here. That is a pillar that underlies the Democrat Party in this country. It's race, it's climate, it's radical gender ideology. That frames their doctrine. No doubt about it. This is a modern university. That's what bothers me. Because they're, I think, otherwise... Kids that could turn out normal. Not that because they attended this lecture, they won't. But they get this constantly in these settings, in these university settings. Therefore, their chances of just being productive and normal, and honestly not racist, because this teaches racism. That's what it does. Are quite low. Whites are psychopaths, King said, and their behavior represents an underlying biologically transmitted proclivity with roots deep in their evolutionary history. (laughs) Uh, Now reverse the races in that statement and see how quickly this show gets canceled. Exactly right. And that will explain the stupidity of the person speaking. (laughs) So... I got, uh, there's another word that might be ascribed to this. You know, we came up with some when we started reading all these statements during the, uh, I guess, the onset of the radical DEI evolution in this country. Grandiloquent is one of the words that describes when people just try to use big words with lots of syllables in them to make them sound smarter. Really don't have any any meaning they don't really contribute to the message. Well, there's another one I found. I don't know if I can say it right. 
circumlocution, <laughs> which is the use of many words where fewer would do. <laughs> I don't think I pronounced it right. Look it up. But, uh, yeah, circumlocution. Okay, I did generally say it right. He says, there is no discussion about the delusions and the perversion of whiteness. Say this with me. Rape culture in America is a legal, economic, and moral institution. Where did he come up with that from? So we're going to we have it written in the law. You can rape black women, but we've never been... This is been what a- happens when the stupidity of the left's ideology gets zero pushback from mainstream... And they they buy into their own stupidity so much that they sincerely believe they have the right and authority to say whatever the heck they want to say because they know they're not going to get any pushback. Because if you push back against them, guess what? You're racist. Even though it has nothing to do with the melanin content of their skin and has everything to do with the content of their character and their lack of intelligence. Because they're willfully ignorant in a day and age where you have instant access to all the world's information and you're going to come out and say that oh it's legal to rape black women if you're white because the whites are psychopaths and it's all passed down genetically that sounds like freaking hitler to to your point the university did say they released a statement they said yeah his comments were controversial and of course they emphasized their Commitment to promoting open dialogue and diverse perspectives. However, they didn't come out and explicitly denounce his soliloquy there. It's the same thing that happened with the Harvard uh, president and uh, when she had that crap on the Hill. It depends on the context. And Representative Elise Stefanik said, no, it doesn't depend on the context. You're murdering innocent people, and you're condoning it. And, and so they go on to say that, uh, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't condemn him. And they said that uh, he maintains that his speech was intended to provoke thought and discussion, not to incite hatred or division. Oh, my God! Yeah, I'll believe that when my crap turns purple and smells like rainbow sherbet. <laughs> he says that his goal is to examine and educate about the legal construction of colonial and post-colonial America. Why do we even get into this colonial stuff? Where does that come because from? Because they like to think they're smart, but their <laughs> tiny little pea brains can only comprehend a couple hundred years' worth of history. That's right. Anything more than that, and they short out. Their brain doesn't work anymore. Oh, gosh. Well, that's also why they don't understand per capita statistics. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I just had to share that. Every day, I think, you know, maybe we're turning the corner on this stuff, and then this crap comes up. And if you think it's just this university, you know good and well it's not. This is everywhere. It's everywhere. It truly is. It's disturbing. It's problematic. I don't see what's productive about this. I really don't. What What is this gaining? What is this? How is this improving society? Isn't that kind of what you go to college for? To some extent, right? To At least to gain an education so that you can be productive and improve and serve society. That's the idea. I'm convinced at least half the kids go into college just do it because it's what's expected of them. 
There's a lot of truth to that. There's no doubt about that. It's basically 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th grade. Absolutely no doubt about that. Sad. Okay. Let's see. On the ceasefire text line, any chance of getting Senator stand with Trump, secure the border, build the wall on the show to explain why he decided to forfeit any leverage bargaining Ukraine aid for security measures at our own border? I assume talking about Senator Wicker. Well, I, I think most... Um, of those on the right opposed the measure that combined the two, so they split it out, and, that, and it failed. It did not. It didn't go anywhere. That's the the uh, combination of support for the border and money's not the issue there. The well, the insanity of all of this is okay. Let's split it up and let's take care of other countries before trying to get something done for our own. That's that is totally insane. Um. How do the Mississippi U.S. Senate polls look? Of course, the election uh, for at least uh, Senator Wicker's seat is less than a month away. I haven't seen any polls. I really don't know at this point, uh, so I can't I can't comment on that. Um, and we've got some folks. I will be voting no for Mr. Wicker in November since he voted yes for Ukraine aid. Won't be voting for Senator Wicker unless he's only one against a Democrat. I think House Speaker Johnson has no choice but to bring it to a floor. I could be for based on last night's ruling, says Donald in Oxford. I could be wrong. I, I mean, I'd, I'm just speculating that it's not, but I could be wrong. I mean, Wicker only has himself to blame. He's the one that keeps making these votes based on politics, and I'm going to be in good with McConnell. Yeah, and I and so uh, again, I I have uh, been critical of of some votes that the senators cast. Um, the, the infrastructure bill, the Chips Act, the um, the omnibus bill, twenty two. Well, this last one's just egregious. They had seventy votes. They didn't have to vote for it. I don't understand that. When those others were sixteen, seventeen votes, which were not necessary either, uh, in order for passage. Um, and and really, I can't I can't explain those other than the common thread is Senator Mitch McConnell in every one of those, and it, and it does certainly it's a cause for that question. I think that's reasonable. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. We got Jerry Lake at 12:50. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Well, you know, I'm glad the weather's good. I suspect it is. It's great here. It, certainly it's good in New Orleans, huh? A little warmer, but the sun's shining. I would think that the, after the front moved through, always makes for a much happier, more festive, and greater Mardi Gras. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. They're, uh, I've been to some rainy ones. They're a little more subdued. Yeah. It's still I've, a party, but it's more subdued. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Pretty cool, though, if you've ever been. I've been, I'm going to guess, 30, 35 times. My family originally from New Orleans, and it was uh, customary for the my family here in Mississippi to head that way. My father's sister still lived in New Orleans. We'd always stay there. And This is crazy, but back in those days, families would, would wear costumes. And my mother, uh, being a fantastic seamstress, she would make costumes for everybody. 
I mean, it'd be like 25, 30 of us. And uh, often it would be, I think she called them periots. Is that like a, I think a clown is what it, um, what it represented. Like, I think it's a French word for some sort of clown theme. Yeah. Is that right? How do you spell it? P-I-R-O-U-T or something? P-I-E-R-R-O-T. Okay. Well, I missed that totally, but that's not surprising because uh, I believe it is a French word. Oh, yeah. And it's uh, that's pretty cool. My mother would make that, man. She'd measure everybody up, spend the whole year, it seems like, you know, in her free, in her free time, hobby kind of. But, man, we look great. Didn't have all the picture-taking equipment you have today, unfortunately. I'm sure we got some. We did have the old-fashioned cameras. And we it shoot. started in Paris, but its origins are technically Italian. Oh. Because it's a stock character of pantomime and commedia dell'arte. Oh, okay. Whose origins are in the late 17th century Italian troupe of players performing in Paris. How about that? A little Known history lesson. Comédie Italienne. Okay. Very cool. Well, and then there, of course, uh, it, it just reminds me of... The uh, famous Smokey Robinson song, which includes uh, the tears of a clown, of course, refers to Pagliacci, right? Oh, yeah. That's also an Italian clown. Correct. Is it not? That uh, has tears painted on the face, tears rolling down the from the eyes. I think, isn't that right? So the theme of the song, do I have that right? The, the song, of course, says that um, he's... Tears of a clown, he's hiding his pain inside, essentially, but acting happy on the outside. It's a great tune, the great Smokey Robinson. Let's see on the ceasefire text line. Thomas in Greenwood says, didn't Trump run in 2016 on repealing Obamacare? What happened? Every Republican candidate, Thomas, ran on repealing Obamacare because it was a popular thing to run on. It's, it's still being at a time which was relatively not too far removed from when the law was enacted. I remember clearly Senator Ted Cruz, when he was a candidate in the 2016 cycle, he began every speech with saying, I'm going to repeal every single word of Obamacare. Except, no, you're not, Senator, if you're elected president, because you can't do that as a president. And I know a lot of people say, well, John McCain prevented that. Just so you'll know what John McCain thumbs downed was what's called skinny repeal. It wasn't full all-out repeal. It would have addressed some of these insurance reforms, like we talked about, to, to make more forms of coverage, options of coverage available. Um, we talked about the minimum essential essential coverage that is required by federal law to be included in virtually all uh, insurance, health insurance policies. So it wasn't a full all-out repeal. It wouldn't have ended Medicaid expansion. wouldn't have ended the ACA ex- exchanges. It would have repealed the individual mandate, which Trump ended up doing through an executive order, somehow was able to figure out how to do that legally. Um, but really, uh, it would have created this, this, this some different options for insurance that don't exist today. But nonetheless, I felt from the beginning... So McCain didn't really have any political objection to it. It was purely personal. No doubt about it. I mean, it was political uh, objection from the standpoint of not wanting to allow Donald Trump to get a victory. I would say that. 
But, but that's not even political because they're on the same team. That makes it personal. But, you know, it was personal. That's right. You're right, because he, he took offense to a, a statement that Donald Trump made about him. And several in the in sort of the McCain sort of wing of the party were not real, real favorable to Donald Trump. I don't think there's any secret about that. But, yeah, he stood in the way. Honestly, I wish he wouldn't have. I think that would have been uh, a good law to... In, uh, implement some reforms that would have increased options in the insurance market. But it, but I do want to point out, a lot of people are confused and believe that that would have been complete 100% total repeal. That's absolutely false. It's not the case. Um, and that, by the way, would require 60 votes, which is why we're never going to get that, unless you end the filibuster. And if you end the filibuster and then the Democrats do the same, which they're likely to do next time they have the alignment of the stars, the trifecta, as it is referred to, which includes control of the House, um, control of the Senate, even if it's by one vote, and, of course, the White House, they will end the filibuster. And as soon as that happens, the first thing you're going to see is D.C. become a state. Then you're going to see H.R. 1. That's their voting rights legislation, which would federalize the elections process. You'll see incredible gun control. Abortion would be codified. The right to an abortion would be a federal law across all 50 states. Um, You'd see lots of the Green New Deal implemented. I believe you'd see them attempt at least to implement a wealth tax. At a minimum, massive increases in taxes would occur. Um, Totally open borders. I mean, not like we don't have that today, but they'd codify it, essentially. That's the risk. We're fortunate that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema stood in the gap, honestly, between 21 and and uh, in the midterms because for the year 21-22. Because if that hadn't been the case, that's what they plan to do is end the filibuster and implement all those measures, that agenda that we just talked about. All kinds of other crazy race and gender stuff as well because that, of course, underpins the Democrat Party. So only liberal bills can get 60 votes, says Thomas. It doesn't make any sense, Thomas. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Thomas is also the same person that says, so why vote Republican if we can't get anything they promise? Because the alternative is disastrous. Um, Did you not hear the loony DEI Democrats saying that all white people are genetically psychopaths? And Thomas has told us that if uh, Senator Wicker prevails in the primary and he's the Republican candidate for Senate, he will be voting for whomever the liberal Democrat is, which I think is completely misguided, Thomas. I would also argue that you're no longer conservative if you do that. That's a good point. Ben from Madison says Senator Wicker will likely win, but he won't have my vote. Also says the pharmaceutical industry seems so backwards. I suppose that's what happens when the government overregulates free market. I hope you're right, Ben, and I hope you heard my explanation for that i noticed i think you posted that right before i came back in the next segment just offer my take on it which is this is what happens when you regulate the profit of an industry they figure out a way to get around it and what they figured out was to create this incredibly byzantine complex pbm industry i mean which existed somewhat but not to the extent it does now and now we're all paying the price for that essentially sort of indirectly Let's see what else we got here on the ceasefire text line. I got to refresh here. Apologize for that. If Dems implement all you're saying, there will be a civil war. Uh, yeah, and I, 
I, uh, I, I don't want to see a civil war, of course. I would never, ever condone that. But it does disturb me that if they were to get that radical and start implementing all those policies, I'm not sure what would happen. But I would also say the, the opposite is true. If the, if the Republicans were to tear down the filibuster, in the filibuster, had the trifecta, and they started implementing lots of the Republican-oriented, um, more conservative policy, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we wouldn't see lots of uh, rioting and lots of unrest. I think that'll happen if Donald Trump's elected. I'm absolutely convinced if Donald Trump's elected, you're going to see that. You may see the same if a Democrat, and it may be Joe Biden, is elected from those on the right. Will it be another January 6th type event where there's an invasion, incursion of the Capitol? I don't know. I just think either way people are going to be mad, which it, either side's going to be mad that the other side won. We may see, again, contention that the election was rigged and stolen and all that sort of stuff. We're just so highly polarized. But, of course, we were told, were we not, Rhino, we got to vote for this guy, Joe Biden. He's going to unite us. Save the soul of the <laughs> oh, nation. That's right. Oh, my gosh. And now I understand he is refusing to submit to a cognitive test as part of his uh, physical upcoming and the White House is really spinning that. It's just they just think it's outrageous that we think this 81-year-old man that is just a, a gaff a minute needs to submit to a cognitive test. It's really not personal, though, Mr. Biden. It's just you're not fit to serve in that job. You just aren't. And you're putting the rest of us in America and the world at risk by doing so. We're coming right back with Jerry Lake, the owner of Carter Jewelers. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. studio final segment we welcome again jerry lake the owner of carter jewelers all right jerry i'm uh, quite sure you've been selling some jewelry today you got valentine's day coming up and uh hopefully folks are coming in there and taking care of their significant and special others (laughs) we have gerard (laughs) it's uh for now, this is my uh, retirement uh, liquidation sale at Carter Jewelers. We're uh, located downtown Jackson, two blocks from the Capitol on High Street. And uh, 
I have uh, this store is is under contract to be sold, and uh, we've carried what I, I believe was by far the biggest uh, inventory of fine diamond jewelry in the region, maybe by multipliers. But anyhow, we have a huge selection of uh, fine diamond jewelry especially in the category of engagement rings, diamond bands, diamond earrings, and diamond pendants, and, and a lot of gold jewelry. Uh, uh, don't come in here for gifts. We're, they're pretty much gone, and uh, our, our watches are, are on the scarce side. So, uh, But I'm going to tell you something. Prices are marked down up to 90%. There's a whole case where everything in there is 90% off. We have cases of jewelry under 100 under $200. Uh, it's, uh, you're going to find some of the most beautiful, best-made jewelry ever made at the best prices in the world. And, and it, this sale... Uh, if if our price doesn't work for you, I want to know what you're willing to pay. Uh, I, I've just I have a massive amount of jewelry. I have to either sell it to the new owners who have very limited resources, and they also have to put in all the basic jewelry products, or I go to like industry liquidators, and, and I will tell you something. It's a lot better for me, and it's a lot better for our customers. If we can make a deal over the counter, uh, and uh, I, I think uh, honestly, I think this is probably the best jewelry sale that that our business has had in our. Uh, I, you can't say for sure it's been here for hundred over one hundred seventy years, but uh, I, I would be surprised if it's not the best jewelry sale in in pretty much everybody's lifetime that's hearing this broadcast. Uh, and if if you have an appetite or the budget for some fine jewelry or, or want to upgrade your engagement ring or, or your diamond band or gents or, or anything else, you should come to this sale. We have uh, I have interest-free and no credit check financing available. I will I'll entertain uh, trade-ins, but they have to be based kind of on the same kind of liquidation prices we're selling at then it has to make sense so look i, I want to know i want to know what you'll give for any and everything in the store uh it's uh anywhere you are in the state if you're interested in some fine diamond jewelry i will tell you it'll be worth your drive over here round trip uh you're gonna love what you see and it's going to be packaged well, and it'll be something that whoever you give it to, they're likely to get compliments on it for the rest of their life. It's uh, This is lifetime quality jewelry, and uh, at, at some of the most... They, these prices, I'm, they're the best prices in the world on this on this jewelry. So, and, and, and also... I want to hear what you, if our price doesn't work, I want to know what it will take on our part to sell it to you, to do business with you. Uh, you know, I can't retire and uh, retire on, on jewelry. I, it has to be converted to money. So, you know, 
I'm, I'm, this would be the. I, I'm pretty sure the biggest fine jewelry liquidation probably ever to have been held in the state of Mississippi, and at least in my lifetime. So, anyway, uh, I think probably my time is getting uh, pretty close, Gary. Do I have? Can I talk to him a little more? Or we're about out of time. We we got to go, uh, Jerry. But we uh, we always enjoy you coming on. Appreciate you telling yeah. us about all the great yeah. deals, J- of Carter Jewelers. We got to go. Could could be my last broadcast. Well, thank you no, for having man. me, folks. We're out of here today. Thank you so much for joining us. We're back with you tomorrow. Happy Mardi Gras. Stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.